relationship as discipline. God disciplines us for our own good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And that that last part's important, those who've been trained by it, because some people are not trained by it. We, We all probably know Christ followers who have faced a wall at different times in their life, and they, they haven't changed. Maybe God's brought them to the same wall again and again, um, but some Christians just get bitter from their wall experience. Some Christians just shut down, um, or they go to just like safe and familiar things from the past, ways that they used to relate to God that feel safe, but really it's just they're just kind of distracting themselves from the work that God wants to do. Not everybody learns from their time at the wall. Um, but I, my, my hope is that with this, with this group, with this community, that we'll allow God to do his deep work in us at the wall. Uh, we need each other for this. That's why it's so important for us to talk about this in groups and pray for, another, for one another. And, and then in the coming weeks, I think just it'd be cool to hear from different people to say, here's, here's what God's doing in my life, and here's what I've had to do to be healthy. Here's some practices that have helped me. To, so we're just, we're supporting each other. We're helping each other. And we just feel like, I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one. I'm not, you know, and here's what, here's what they're figuring out. Um, I really hope that, that, that we'll, we'll be the exception, that we'll, we'll say, okay, God, I'm here. Uh, I'm not in charge of this time at the wall and what you want to do here and how long I'm here, but um, do, do, what, do what you need to do. I want to be healthy. I want to be free. I want to be full of life. Um, to, to experience renewal, we have to accept the wall as a gift from God. Um, it's a gift, even, even though it's not, probably not the gift we would ask for. Um, God wants us to experience full life and communion and connection with him. God wants us to be free from attachments and idols in our lives that are really unhealthy. God wants us to know this like deep, true rest that Jesus, we're, there's no forward movement in our life until we deal with whatever it is that's under the surface. So um, let's, let's, let's pause here. Let's process this a little bit as, with, with maybe two or three people around us. Um, so the, a couple things. The wall, it's something that all of us are going to face in our spiritual journey. Um, maybe that's a new thought for you. God brings us to the wall. The wall is the only way that God knows that God can set us free. But if we accept this, this wall as a gift from God, the wall can lead to growth. It can lead to freedom. It can lead to the life that he has for us. Which, uh, which aspects of the wall are, are resonating with you the most uh, right now? Why don't we group up and talk about that for a little bit? Which, which, which pieces of this are standing out to you? Like groups of two, three, four people, right? Go for it. All right. Hopefully you don't feel like a crazy person now. Other people resonate with the wall. Um, let's, all, uh, let's all turn in a Bible to Genesis 22. If you got one, Genesis 22. Um, it's the first book of the Bible, Genesis 22. If, um, so, so if accepted as God's gift, the wall can lead us to growth. But um, it's, it's not the kind of growth that we would expect. It's probably not the kind of growing as in like God wants us to learn something. The, the growing is probably that God wants us to unlearn something at the wall. Um, this is how Oswald Chambers uh, puts it when he, 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 he uses the image of a cloud, but same idea with the wall. Through every cloud he brings our way, he wants us to unlearn something. 
His purpose in using the cloud is to simplify our beliefs until our relationship with him is exactly like that of a child, a relationship simply between God and us and where other people are but shadows. Until other people become shadows to us, clouds and darkness will be ours every once in a while. Is our relationship with God becoming more simple than it has ever been? Until we come face to face with the deepest, darkest fact of life without damaging our view of God's character, we do not yet know him. So um, in Genesis 22, um, a man named Abraham faced a wall so that he could unlearn something. And um, this was not the first wall that Abraham faced in his life. If you know his journey, um, God had promised a family to Abraham and his wife, Sarah, but they waited at the wall of infertility for 25 years before their son that God had promised to them was born. Um, They got tired of waiting at the wall, um, like many of us do uh, at our wall. And uh, so Abraham actually had a surrogate child. Um, with their servant, Hagar, and they had a son named Ishmael, but this was not the, the son that God had promised. This was, they, were, they were still, uh, he, he had them waiting at the wall still longer. Um, God was eventually um, good on it. Um, about 10 years later, there was another wall of loss and maybe you could say alienation where Abraham was separated from his son, Ishmael. It was a really painful time in their life. And now in Genesis 22, Abraham is going to face another wall where he has to unlearn something. Um, Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Just right from the beginning, don't miss that. God needed to do some work in Abraham's life, so he's, he's, this is going to be a test. He says to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I'll show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Okay, pause here. Does this story challenge your picture of God? Good. I'm glad. If I didn't see heads nodding, it's, I don't know. Maybe it's, this, this can be one of those things where we, we can be familiar with these stories and, and we just forget, like, wait, what? What's happening here? Why, why would God ask this? This is, has been shaped by the, like, the long-range view of the whole story of Scripture. And so there's other things that we've seen God say and do that kind of speak to this, that inform this. But Abraham doesn't have that vantage point that you and I have. Abraham is living in Genesis 22, and he doesn't have the rest of the story. So all he knows is where he is right now, and God has just told him to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. Just keep that in mind, where he is in the story right now, with what God's asked him to do. And notice, Abraham doesn't ask God why. And Abraham doesn't ask God how. How how do I do what you're asking me to do? And there's a reason for that. Abraham knows why, because in Abraham's world, this is something that the gods ask you to do. This is something the gods demand of you. Abraham lived in a world of ritual child sacrifice, where you gave the most precious thing in your life to the gods so that they wouldn't be angry with you anymore, or so that you would have the crop and the harvest that you wanted, or just countless other reasons. Abraham doesn't ask why, because he knows why. 
And Abraham doesn't know, ask how, because he knows how. He gets all the supplies that he needs to carry this out. He's seen this done many times before. Absolutely. But this is Abraham's every day, and that's why he doesn't ask why, how, what's God doing? On, on the third day, Abraham looked up, he saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Pause here. What did Abraham just say? Who will worship? We. we. And who's going to come back? Something's going on here. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. What, what is God going to provide? Not Isaac? Something's going on here. When, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Him from heaven reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Okay, earlier Abraham said, we will worship and we will come back to you. And then Abraham told his son, God is going to provide the lamb. What's going on here? L later in the biblical story, um, the author of Hebrews tells us, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. That Abraham, people point back to this moment and call Abraham the, the father of faith, but I still, Abraham's trusting that God's powerful, but the question, powerful, but is, is God good? God commanded Abraham to kill his son, and Abraham didn't ask why or how. Is that because in Abraham's picture of God, God is just like all the other gods that he's familiar with. Has, has God brought Abraham to this wall, to this, this sacrificial altar, so that Abraham can learn something or so that Abraham can unlearn something? It's significant that, that, that Abraham gives God a new name in this moment. He, he, he says, the Lord will provide. It's a, it's a, new, it's a new name from a, a new experience that, that Abraham has God. Has, has of God. Abraham um, unlearned another name, which would be the Lord is going to demand the life of my child. He had to unlearn that name. 
And, and as the biblical story unfolds, the, you and I probably know God wants us to unlearn this broken picture of what God's like. Deuteronomy 12 says, don't worship the Lord your God in that way. The Lord hates the abominable things that they, these other nations, do for their gods because they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Jeremiah 19, they've built the high places of Baal offerings to Baal. He's saying they, like God's people, my people are doing this. And he says, I did not command this or decree this. This never entered my mind. God wants to say, I am nothing like that. I would never ask that. I would never imagine that or want that from you. But I, I got a question. What, why didn't God just have a sit-down chat with Abraham and go, hey, Abraham, you know, that whole child sacrifice thing, I would never do that. I'm never like that. Great, good, clear, move on. Why, why take him through all the drama with hiking up the hill and the fire and the knife and all the getting to that last moment? Why does God take any of us through our drama? Why, does, why, why, does, why doesn't he just have a sit-down with us and just clear things up with a little chat? Our wall right now, is this the only way to unlearn some things? I, I, I can't pretend to know what God's doing with each of our walls. But God doesn't feel the need to explain everything to me and you. And it is so frustrating. I, I like to know what's going on. God, but God is not going to be tamed. God's not going to be manipulated. God is wild, and God is free to do things as our, at, at our wall in the way that he sees fit to do it. And he's not asking for our feedback. He's not asking uh, for us to speak into it before he goes for it. Uh, Richard Rohr puts it like this. Believe it or not, we're threatened by such a free God because it takes away all of our ability to control or engineer the process. It leaves us powerless, and it changes the language from any language of performance or achievement to that of surrender, trust, and vulnerability. That is the so-called wildness of God. We cannot control God by any means whatsoever, not even by our good behavior, which tends to be our first and natural instinct. Next slide. That, that utter and absolute freedom of God is fortunately used totally in our favor, even though we're still afraid of it. It's called providence, forgiveness, free election or mercy, but to us, it feels like wildness, precisely because we cannot control it, manipulate it, direct it, earn it, or lose it. Anyone into controlling God by his or her actions will feel very useless, impotent, and ineffective. Do we still feel like, is that, why, is that why we're here? Is that why there's been no forward movement in our life? Because there's something we've got to unlearn or we haven't surrendered. Are we going to surrender to the God who's free to do what needs to be done in our lives for our own good, even if we don't get the full picture, even if we don't get an explanation of what's going on? You've, um, you've got a paper on, on your chair, and uh, Laura, could you come up? And um, you've got a paper on your chair, and there's some pens in the aisle. Could, uh, if you've got the pens in the aisle, could you send the, that down the aisle? And uh, you'll need that in a minute to just maybe name some things and describe some things. Um, so, Laura.
Um, I will say that uh, when I was 41, that was probably my biggest dark night of the soul after being married for 17 years when that started to end. Um, we have a picture of uh, a place in Jerusalem called the Wailing Wall. And uh, when I learned about what Andy was talking about this week, I love this image because it's a place where people all over the world have gone and they cry out to God. And when I was in my dark night of the soul, um, I read through the Psalms and I just cried every night to God. And I cried out to God. And um, so what I wanted to do today in this element, I think that when we hit a really hard place sometimes, we're tempted, uh, when we think of surrender, it's almost like we're tempted to give up on a hard relationship or on our career situations or big losses like Andy talked about earlier. Um, and we get caught in a scary place, familiar, and things are comfortable. And that wall is just a really scary place. Um, in this wall, in this wailing wall, uh, for me, it's an image where God actually invites us to cry out. He invites us for the courage to kind of stand up and put our prayer into that wall. And that prayer, it's a tremendous courage because it's scary. What if God doesn't show up in the way I need him to show up? What if healing doesn't show up? What if freedom doesn't come? What if this night lasts longer than I'm prepared for? Um, but in this place, I really believe in this place of surrender that when we come to God, um, I came through on the other side of that, and my name for God is my constant companion. That's what he taught me in that season, that he is my constant companion. And it's the peace that holds me in every other um, difficult situation. Uh, so on this paper today, I want to encourage you to take a moment and think of a word or a picture or a phrase that looks like surrender for you. Um, something that looks like not giving up the prayer that you want to put at God's feet to say, I, I trust you to carry me through this. I trust that this wall is not here by accident. Uh, so take a few moments. If it's a picture, if it's a word, it can be a place of freedom and a place of healing. Together, we know that we're not alone. We're not crazy. We're not the only one dealing with it. And on the other side of that wall, there can be freedom. So we'll take a few moments. And then as an act of solidarity, as a community, I want to encourage you to uh, trade papers with someone. Share your prayer with somebody. All right. I see some of us getting artistic with this. That's good. Makes my heart happy. Um, I'll give you a little more, a little more time. But uh, yeah, maybe, maybe a word is surrender. Um, Maybe it's healing, freedom, um, wholeness. What, what might God have waiting for you on the other side of, of the wall? We're, we're not in charge of uh, how long we're at the wall. We're not in charge of what God wants to do there. But uh, maybe it could help to give us some endurance and some patience and to trust knowing that this isn't all in vain, that it's not a waste, that God's up to something through this. What, what are you saying? Um, so let's do this. Let's, um, let's give each other a benediction, a good word, and share a word that describes what God might have waiting for you on the other side of your wall. And then if you would, um, exchange papers with the person you share it with, because then they know how to pray for you. They know how to support you. They know how to cheer you on while you're waiting at the wall, okay? And then once you've given each other that benediction, 
Um, let's keep hanging out and enjoy some delicious burritos. So benediction and then burritos. I like the alliteration there. It's fun. So yeah, but why don't you pair up with one other person? Uh, give them a benediction. What's, what's, what's the word? What's, what do you feel like God's got for you on the other side of this wall? And then exchange papers and then we'll eat.